Hi, you guys, and welcome back to the podcast. We are the Carwells. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah, and we are, as you know, Airbnb interior designers and investors. <laughs> well, welcome back, everyone, to catch up with the Carwells. Today, we have David Ross here to talk all things Airbnb. Um, we brought him on specifically because he does some things that we are personally interested in as we continue scaling our real estate portfolio. So, um, he has six or seven properties, uh, seven, seven properties. A lot of them are in California. It sounds like you're working on one that's international. Um, and so we're super excited to pick your brain today, see uh, what your Airbnb strategy is, so on and so forth. But as we do every single podcast, we start each podcast with an Airbnb horror story. So before we get into all of those juicy details, will you kick off today's episode introducing yourself and starting with an Airbnb horror story that you've experienced? Sure. Um, so I want to go a little different direction with the horror story, and that's just um, of how going forward, trying to get an Airbnb up and running can kind of go really sideways um, and how it can go either good or bad or whatever. So um, so our, my horror story is that um, my wife and I, we were looking for a new area to buy an Airbnb um, and we were kind of going the strategy of looking near national parks. Um, so we live in Placerville, which is about three hours from Yosemite National Park. Um, that area is kind of blowing up, um, the little town of Mariposa. So um, we went to Yosemite a couple of times and then we, we drove through Mariposa and we're, and we're just like looking at open houses and, and things like that. Um, we settled on a house that had like a really cool view. It was tenant occupied, um, which is another part of our strategy. We kind of find distressed properties. Um, one of the distressing factors could be that they're tenant occupied and a lot of investors or buyers don't want to have to deal with that. So um, the tenants were going to stay in there for like another six months after we closed, which was all fine. Um, the house was a little bit trashed. Um, and as we started going through the, the process of getting the tenants out, giving them their notice and everything, which is, is always a little bit hectic, um, the house is just looking like rougher and rougher. Um, and as as the tenants get out and we start doing start working on construction, um, we get a notice from the county that says that there are some issues with permitting that we didn't know. And um, instead of the house being a three bedroom, two bath or three bath, it was actually a two bedroom, one bath. The whole downstairs had been finished um, without permits. So we came to the, the decision that we had to make was, are we going to go through this uh, really long permitting process and, and get that all fixed and mitigated? Um, and it turns out that that was going to be like another like forty to $50,000 more than we were expecting to pay. So um, we kind of cut our losses on that. Um, we left, we, we completely gutted the downstairs of the house. Um, and we decided that we we're just going to rent the top of the house long term. Um, and so that's that's where we went with that. Um, and so now we have a long term rental in Mariposa. Um, that's just a two bedroom, two bath. And we're still making a little bit of money on it. We're making like 400 bucks a month over like our mortgage and insurance and everything. So um, as horror stories go, it's not that bad, but it's not the path that we wanted to go and we have a great tenant and then sometime in the future we're going to revisit uh 
getting that as a as a short-term rental oh my gosh well first of all 40 to fifty thousand dollars when you're uh analyzing these properties that's a big hit so i can understand not wanting to do that but i a question popped up when you were talking about it being tenant occupied and kind of the property not being like looking great when you give people their notice or kind of that they're going to be moving out do you notice that it kind of gets more trashed is that an issue that you run into if you're buying tenant occupied properties yeah that's that's something you definitely have to think about i don't these people specifically that that didn't happen um but we've we've had another situation um where the tenants like they tried to sabotage what was what they were how they're living i guess um and it, I mean, it's, it's just delicate, a delicate situation. And, and you have to understand that like, this is their home, you know, like this is where they've been living for some amount of time, like sometimes years. So like, I can really sympathize with that. Um, so it's just a tough situation. That's like the, the landlord tenant uh, thing and landlords are always the bad guys, right? Yes, always. <laughs> so with this property that you're now running as a long-term rental, can you begin going through that permitting process and do those permits last quite a while? So like if you wanted to get the permit process started and ready to build, you could like pause, wait to get the tenant that's out currently out and then start that construction? Or does it have to be like immediately following getting that permitting approved? Um. Yes. So luckily what we, we did was we finished the whole upstairs. We remodeled it completely um, and we just left the downstairs gutted. So the, the upstairs is ready to go. And now how we're going to do it is it used to have stairs going down. The stairs were uh, actually like added illegally. There was very steep. Um, so now it's going to be uh, two units. Upstairs is going to be a, a two, two downstairs is going to be just a one, one studio. Um, so we're going to use that either we can go, my wife and I, we can go visit there and stay in the downstairs. Um, or if you want to rent it as like a master suite on Airbnb, you have the whole upstairs and then a master suite separately downstairs. It has its own parking and everything. So, and both, both sides are the top and bottom both have like a great view as well. So that's, that's great. That's amazing. Well, I think honestly, this is a testament as well to even when real estate goes sideways, there's always silver linings, right? And it's really hard to completely lose on a piece of real estate. So even though it didn't turn out the way that you had anticipated from the get-go, you still are in the green, which is great. Right. And, and I have a lot of friends that I like tell, I'm like, oh, I'm just like disappointed about how, how it turned out. And they're like, dude, like two years ago, this was like your real estate strategy. Like you, you were just trying to find like three to $500 a month cash flow on a property. I'm like, okay, well... I've, things have changed a little bit. So now, now I'm just expecting more, you know? Yeah. I mean, it totally makes sense, but yeah, it's, well, that kind of segues me into my first question for you. How did you end up in real estate investing and what were you doing previous to doing short-term rentals? So originally started Airbnb and I guess uh, arbitraging before it was called arbitraging. I, I used to live down in Santa Barbara when I was going to, to college and um, I took off for a vacation into Central America and um, decided to rent out my apartment on Airbnb. And while while I was gone, like the like my rent, I think was like fourteen hundred bucks a month. And I was gone for like 20 days and I had made like around $2,000. And then I was like, 
I think I'm going to extend this vacation another 10 days. And then by the time I can't come back, I doubled, I'd made double my rent. And I was just like, kind of the wheels started turning a little bit. And I was like, all right, this is, this is interesting. I, I'd never even heard of Airbnb until that time. I never stayed in an Airbnb until that trip. So that was kind of, that was where I got my start. Um, and then kind of fell out of that and was doing kind of the, more of the college um, things and uh, I don't know, getting, getting like the restaurant kind of industry and that kind of, that, that path, uh, which, which leads, which leads to nowhere. But um, my wife and I met down in, in Santa Barbara and we decided to move back to my hometown. Um, Amber, my wife, she, she started working for a, a lending company um, and we started getting back into real estate, but more on the like house flipping side and, um, saw like the, the path for long-term investments because I, I thought Airbnb seemed like more work than I wanted to, to be getting into. Um, so how, how we started on Airbnb again was that, um, Amber's, uh, boss, uh, who's, who's a lender, um, she found a deal that was about to fall out of escrow and it was a it was a four unit apartment complex um and it was like a, a really good deal it was it was around four hundred thousand dollars for for the four units um it's a great location right in town it was a commercial property uh, but it was used as residential and we were just looking at that as a, a long-term investment um we were just going to buy it keep the tenants and it was already cash flowing um and Airbnbs were actually illegal in our town of Placerville. So um, we just, we bought the property um, and we, we're just going to maybe fix up like one unit at a time. Um, after, after seeing like kind of the, the state of the, of the different apartments, um, we decided we were just going to actually get the, those tenants out of there. They're paying around like 600 to $650 a month per unit. Um, which is, which is very, very low. And, um, we started exploring the option of doing short-term rentals instead of long-term rentals with the units. Cause they're just kind of creative juices started flowing, um, with, with, with seeing like how cool the property could be. Um, so, um, Airbnb was illegal in Placerville at the time. Um, so I started contacting the, the city officials, um, from the planning department and the city council and just seeing like, Hey, since this is a commercial property, is it, is it possible that these could be like considered like hotel rooms? Um, and they were like, yes, it, it just, you just have to go through this process. Um, and so we, we started that process and, um, after hundreds of phone calls, like 500 emails um, and meeting with each one of the city officials, planning commission, um, all these different like city agencies, um, and then going to actual public meetings and, and kind of fighting neighbors and everything. Um, we got the ordinance that to allow short-term rentals in commercial zones in, in Placerville, which um, is now how we are operating. Um, so uh, long story short, there um we we were in real estate uh in a kind of a different path and then we just kind of all saw where we could make a little more income by going to short-term rentals so that's that's the path we we're on now that's incredible i think that really i mean 
I'm currently in a very, very similar situation with our Orange Cadillac property where it's zoned commercially, Airbnb is illegal in residentially zoned areas, and it's just kind of a gray area, right? It's like the city officials don't really understand why the regulation is the way that it is, and there's people who want it to be slightly changed, and that process of like rewriting that regulation is so extensive. It takes so much time, but it's like you know, it's moving mountains. (laughs) It's like, you've got to have somebody who's plugged in, who really sees like a greater vision and understands it as a whole to get that needle moving. So it's incredible that you were able to do that for an entire city. And we're, we're a small city. I mean, it's it's only the Placerville proper is only 13,000 people. Um, I'm not sure how many people are there where you are, but um, that's why I try to kind of tell people, it's like, these are just normal people. Like, I could run for city council. I could be sitting there and like hearing these topics and issues. And I didn't really know, like, it does seem like moving mountains, but I didn't really know that you could just email these people, call them. You can actually just talk to them and say like, Hey, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm not like some, like for, for me, uh, for our area, people are like, always like you're coming from the Bay area and you're, you're like trying to like bring in all this money and like ruin our town or whatever. And I'm like, I was born in our small local hospital. Like I'm not that person, you know, I'm, I'm trying to build something cool. And I'm like showing people like all these renderings that I, that I had done. I'm like, this is what I'm trying to do. And, and everyone just kind of assumes that you're just kind of going the cheap, easy way and just trying to like grab money wherever you can. But, um, I mean, it's, it's possible to do it. It's maybe more difficult in some of these larger cities, but I mean, those are normal people too that are sitting on those city councils. So it's, it's all possible. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, we have right now in Michigan, they had a bill that was going to create blanket regulation over the entire state, just like Arizona has, where it takes the power away from all the towns and cities. And that got squashed in December. And so all of these cities were hesitating to develop their own regulation because they were waiting for the state to do it and they didn't want to like enforce a bunch of regulation that the state was just going to take away and so out of the four properties that we have in michigan two out of four townships are now redeveloping regulation now that that's been squashed and i can attest to that exact thing like when we are in these township meetings and we're sitting in front of the board, I mean, th- those are all the things that they're concerned about. They have this idea that it's just big investors coming in that are 100% profit driven. And when you come in and you're like, no, I literally was born and raised in this township. Like, if I wanted to be 100% profit driven, I likely would make more money elsewhere. Like, I want to invest in the community that I care about most. It changes the entire narrative and the entire demeanor of the people that you're talking to. So you're totally right. Like I just, I didn't realize that it was going to make such a big impact to show up and speak because you're only speaking for like three or four minutes in front of that board, but you can definitely see the emotional pendulum that's swinging while you're speaking in a way that's not just profit driven. And they don't feel like some out of state investor is coming in just to like plow over their community. Mm -hmm. Speaking about regulation, I was going to say it's really terrifying sometimes to make these calls because you don't know who to call always. But in these smaller towns, it, it, to me, it seems a lot easier because it does feel like you're talking to a person. In Alpena, where I am, there's Alpena City and then there's Alpena Township. And I'm actually in the township. And I called and they're like, oh, the guy just like comes in whenever he wants to. Here's his cell phone number. 
you can just call him and have a conversation with him. So it's a lot easier to have these conversations, I personally think, in these smaller towns because it's just some local guy who happened to like want to work in that position or something like that. And it's much easier to have those conversations. And Alpina is kind of like an up and coming area so they're looking for tourism and stuff like that so it was a lot easier to have those conversations with like a person where i just called his cell phone number than in these big cities where you're trying to like make a lot of change with a massive amount of people yeah it's incredibly true um i have another follow-up question for you as well so you've got seven properties that you're you have listed or that are real estate investments and you mentioned in the form that we had you fill out that all of these are self-funded so maybe this is too personal of a question, but what are you doing to fund these properties? Like, what is the source of income outside of the properties that's refunding these properties? So, I mean, our dual income as a husband and wife, that's like a really big thing. Because um, like it's come like in 2019, houses were much less expensive in our little area. So we bought like our, our Amber, my wife bought her first house. Um for like $260,000, which is um, quite uh, cheap for, for now here. And, um, and then we've kind of just gone back and forth um, using like first time home buyer, you know, like only putting 3% down. Um, and then the next house is a, another primary residence and you only have to put 5% down. Um, and then we had our first child so then we could buy our next house because our, we outgrew, technically we outgrew um, that house and we only have to put another 5% down for that. Um, and then now we kind of, it's not, it's not a dream home, but just like uh, two months ago, we bought the house that I'm in now. Um, it's on 10 acres. It has two houses on the property. It's like a 2000 square foot house, but this is also our primary residence. Um, and like each time we're just kind of stepping up a little bit. Um, and if you're only having to put like three to 5% down, um, that's, a lot less than having to put like 20% down. Um, and we have in between all that, we've, we've put 20% down as well for, for like the, the four unit, um, hotel motel we, we purchased. Um, and that was just savings from working, um, over time. And, and I mean, it just, it takes, it takes time to, to get those savings and to get the everything for the closing costs, but it's, it's all doable. It's all possible. Um, and it just, it just takes time. Like, you know, how do you, how do you eat an elephant uh, one bite at a time? Like just constantly telling that to everyone. They're like, how'd you get to where you are now? I'm like, well, like two years ago, we were half this far. One year ago was, we only had two houses. And before that we, we bought one, you know? So it's just, it's a slow progression. Um, and that, that's kind of how we're, how we're going. So you both are still working a nine to five or, a, you know, something outside of real estate. Uh, my wife is a real estate agent, um, and she does really well there, um, and I'm full-time working on our properties. So managing, managing the day-to-day of the Airbnbs, also doing uh, a lot of the construction, um, a lot of the design, all the design, my wife and I kind of tag team, tag team that, um, everything that goes into getting an Airbnb up off the ground. Um, we, we are doing that together. Um, and then we will hire, um, a general contractor when necessary. And then, um, like for like harder stuff, like rewiring like an entire house or something like that. Um, but I'm, I'm filling in all those, all those places that I can doing tile work and, uh, finishing floors, everything like that. And I, I will say that it's not 
the like the job that I thought that I would like want or like, um, but it's it's turned into like what I really love to do. Um, and it's just like kind of serendipitous because just felt have just been falling into it more and more. And I'm like, I, I really enjoy doing what I'm doing now. It's, it's like kind of the most rewarding thing that I could be doing. Yeah, that's incredible. I feel like that's almost to a T how Ethan and I and how Emily and Tyler are starting our real estate portfolios is the first purchase property we did, we moved into and it was our primary and, you know, we lived in it while we renovated it. And now we're doing the same thing here where it's our primary, we're living in it, we're renovating it. And I agree. It's like, you know, real estate does take a ton of money to get into, but if you're willing to like live in a construction zone do a lot of the work yourself, those beginning five years and being able to utilize the utilize those three to 5% um, down payments with that primary loan is such a game changer. Like if you're in an era like you're in or like we're in where we're at the beginning of having kids or not really settled into our lives, we're not buying our forever home right away. Like you're right. It's just brick by brick, a five-year stretch of just chaotic living. But you know, if you love it, you love it. And I could not agree more. Like I did not anticipate my job being, you know, construction all day every day outside of social media of course but it is so rewarding like I would not trade it for the world yeah you guys are another really good example of that we tell people all the time that this is like really it's a couple's industry if you can get into it as a couple because if you usually your your partner has kind of the opposite desires or likes that you have and so you both kind of fall into these really specific roles and take on different tasks and it's much easier to grow when you have the partner that's doing the other things for you so we're constantly emphasizing like if your partner seems handy and you're more into design or you're more into customer service this is the industry for couples in our opinion yeah and you just always have that person to bounce off like all the problems or like all your successes whatever i mean my wife and i just a lot of time there's just big stressful things happening and you just kind of like look at each other and you just like smile and then just start cracking up you're like what are we doing but like it's you're moving in like a direction and like sometimes it's it's chaotic and doesn't seem like you're doing the right things but then you look back and you're like oh we've gone a long ways um and like i I feel like we're constantly doing that and um i don't know it feels it feels great to be where we are and we still have like a ton of goals um a ton of projects that we can't even quite start working on that we already own but don't don't quite have enough money but uh, we're like (laughs) we're getting closer and closer to starting those so yeah yeah it's nice to have uh, your partner on board when you're doing the strategy that we're all doing where you're living in a construction zone if your partner's not on board that just doesn't work so you have to have that person who's like really in it with you because like right now if anybody can hear in the background there's flooring being installed in my house and my husband still does have a nine to five and does this with me and so he's just dealing with it he puts on his headphones he goes into his meetings and just has all the noise in the background but you really have to have a partner who's ready to dive into it if you're going to be living in a construction zone for who knows how long yeah and I don't know about y'all but I like Ethan and I can attest to this all day long it is not a nine to five like this phase that we're in where we're building this real estate portfolio up I've never worked so hard in my entire life. Like I have this idea that there's going to be financial freedom and freedom of time. And you can see how that can exist, right? You can see all these systems that you can set up. And once you have that, you know, kind of 
small empire built and that wheel is turning on the other side of that is everything that you want but you know all of us that are in the thick of it right now it's a lot like it's it's a heavy load to pick up it's an expensive load to pick up there are a million moving parts there's always things that you don't expect and so you know when emily and i started this mentorship we really said like hey if there's one type of person that we want to target helping it's couples because if one person is not on board, it's just not going to work. You've got to find people where two people see the end goal, see the vision and can stay aligned on it for a long period of time because it is a heavy era to go through. Yeah. And it can, it can put a lot of strain on the relationship if you're not seeing eye to eye for sure. Cause I, I, I have that with my wife sometimes and we see eye to eye on almost everything typically, but I mean, still we have strain and stress as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like you're saying, though, it's it's self-inflicted, right? Because, I mean, you could slow down, right? Yeah, we, we right. Could, we, could, we could slow down, but we're, we're like, kind of constantly pushing. Um, and, yeah, every once in a while, we're like, all right, after this project is done, we're not going to do anything else. And then, like, a week goes by, and we're like, all right, so what's next? <laughs> that- Literally last night, I had a phone call with my husband for two hours. He's traveling right now for work. And we talked from 10 p.m. till midnight. And he was like, Sarah, I'm just maxed out. Like, we've got so many, like, things, irons in the fire. There's so many good things happening, but it's requiring so much from us. Like, after this, we just need to take a break. And I was like, Ethan, next week we have a week-long vacation. And I guarantee after seven days off, both of us are going to be rejuvenated and ready to, like, dive back in. And so... Yeah, I think we live in extremes where it's like when we're taking on projects, it's just like, you know, 16 hour days, you do nothing other than like put these properties together, you feel absolutely depleted. But um, the extreme side of that on the other side, if you were like to really reel it back and slow down, I feel I feel like all of us would be twiddling our thumbs and being like, no, I'm ready for another project, like give me something to keep the wheel turning. So I have another question for you. Now that you've done seven, and you've really kind of dabbled in a lot. Um, between like boutique motels and long-term rentals and Airbnbs and now international. Um, When you're looking at projects that you want to take on going forward, what area do you think you're most interested in rinsing and repeating? So so we've done a little bit of long distance um, investing, which was only three hours away. And that one was a little difficult for us. Um, we want to focus on things that are like really close to home. So we have two babies. They're both under two years old. Um, and I mean, with, with like the freedom that comes with kind of working for yourself, um, I don't want to physically be out of town. Um, and I, I want to have less stress, not more stress. So projects that can be closer to home, um, is, is what I want to focus on. Um, and then once we tie up some of these loose ends um, and we we finish like two or three more projects here, um, I, I want to start working on our house that we, that we bought in that's in Mexico. Um, it's in Merida on the Yucatan Peninsula. And um, we might be doing a, a move down in, into that area. Um, so maybe living in at, at the site while we're, while we're doing the construction, maybe renting um, while we're doing the construction. But um, like we want to do like a kind of mini retirement, just like a, a real slowdown and, and kind of live internationally. Um, and that's, 
that's the goal. We were going to do that maybe around this time, but everything is just picked up with, with Amber's work and she's just been doing really well in real estate. Um, so it's kind of hard to leave like multiple, like six figures, like here, like that, that income coming in and, um, I'm having fun with our projects. So, um, kind of tie up loose ends here and then like long-term goal in the next like two to four years is, is going to be moving down internationally, working on that, on that property and, and getting it there and, and seeing what, what international living could be like. Um, maybe that's just six months out of the year or maybe it's full time. We don't, we don't really know yet. <laughs> sounds so aligned with how we talk about our lives. <laughs> Uh, but I love that. I mean, I think that, you know, this industry inherently, like, is very hard to project what your trajectory is going to look like. Like, at a nine to five, it's like you can see that ladder, you understand, like, where you're starting at and what the potential is over time. Uh, but in real estate, and specifically in Airbnb, Emily and I talk all the time about how it feels like it changes every 30, 60, 90 days, right? Like, what we're doing today we're going to feel completely different about in 90 days and what we're doing in 90 days, we're going to feel completely different about 90 days from that. And so it's like, you know, you have to take it one project at a time. Uh, but at the same time, you're like, okay, the goal is to be able to enjoy my life. But like, what, what does that look like? Right. Is it doing these projects, but because we enjoy them so much and we're building this generational wealth, or does it actually look like really stepping back and retiring early and, chilling on a beach with a Mai Tai, enjoying time with family, right? Like, where is that balance? So um, when you're like, hey, you know, two to four years, maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll be down there, maybe we'll be living internationally, or maybe we'll still be here. I feel like that's the tone when we have these conversations with Airbnb hosts who are kind of rinsing and repeating in the same way that we are. So, Well, our goals have changed so much because like in my head, like I used to look at the numbers, I'd be like, all right, if we're netting 5,000 a month and we could live internationally comfortably, like that's what I thought. And then now, then it was like 10,000 and then it was like 20,000. Then I'm like, okay, so now we're at like the 20,000 mark. We could maybe do, maybe, maybe we could do that like even more comfortably, but I'm like, all right, we can double what we're doing in the next two years. And so why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we just do that? <laughs> I, I feel yeah. that in my soul. <laughs> I was so convinced when we started, I was like, I'm just in the next 10 years, if I can make 50 grand a year and not have to show up, like I will have made it. Like I'll have made it. And then you make that on one property and you're like, wait a minute, scratch it all. Like we're going back to the drawing board. Like this is not actually the ideal life that I want. So, um, but I, that's amazing, right? It's like amazing that real estate can grow that income so quickly, whereas you would never be able to double, triple, quadruple your income in under five years in most other industries. Yeah, no, definitely not. And and with inflation and everything, your income is going down and down and down unless you're getting significant raises every year. Yeah. So why Mexico? Like, why did you decide that was going to be the place that you wanted to explore living internationally and buying real estate there? So it was just completely by chance. We were just honestly looking at pictures on, on Google of like just different ruins and stuff we'd like to visit. And we saw like, if you know, uh, Chichen Itza, which is like, Mayan um, kind of uh, pyramids that are that are in Mexico. Um, I didn't even know that Mexico had like the jungle area like that. Um, but so we went down and we we're on just looking on Airbnb and we we're 
trying to find like just the coolest looking Airbnb that we could find um, that was within like an hour drive of all these different ruins that we wanted to visit. And we get to Merida, the city, um, and it's like an old colonial town in like the 20s. Um, they had a really um, big trade of like, uh, they made this like fiber thing from cactus. And like in the 20s, it was the one of the wealthiest countries or one, uh, wealthiest cities in the world. So um, it's just really, really beautiful, that really cool culture. Um, like when I think of Mexico, I think of maybe like, I don't know, on the beach or, or whatever. I, I don't, I don't think of like cool, like cities. Um, but it, it's just amazingly beautiful. The food scene is, is really cool. The, the drinks and everything like you can go out, my wife and I go out and like, you have like starters, two entrees, desserts, you have like five drinks each and it's like a hundred dollars and it's like really high end food. It's like you're eating in like San Francisco or like some big city. And just like love walking on the cobblestone streets and like seeing all the cool architecture, um, 20 minutes from the beach. Um, and so we just like contacted a real estate agent. Um, and we started going around looking, looking at some houses. And so we ended up, um, finding an old colonial house is built in like 1920. Um, and it's just, the whole block is solid all the way around. Like you can't get in. And then everyone has a big courtyard in the middle um, or behind their house essentially. So, um, everything is all cash there. Um, so we like just decided to do it. And it was, it's one of those things, like if like thinking about it now, this is like over a year ago now, thinking about it now, I don't think I would have done it. I, we like, we wouldn't have jumped in, but we were just there. We were like so excited and, and like, we we're like, let's, let's do this. And we, we were actually traveling with friends and they were like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, we're looking at houses with a real estate agent. And they're like, okay, weird. We're going to go to the beach. Um, <laughs> and, but I mean, we jumped in, we bought the property. Um, we've had uh, plans drawn up and everything with a, with a really cool architect um, firm there. Um, everything is significantly, significantly cheaper there. Um, like all of our, all the architectural designs and renderings, plans, electrical, everything ended up costing us under $5,000. Um, the property cost us a little over a hundred thousand dollars, which is all cash, which is a little bit, um, difficult to, to make happen, but now we have it. Um, and then now we're just, we're saving up to, to go on to the next step would be starting, starting the construction of the, of the remodel and everything. So. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you to touch on the all cash part because we have some friends who had purchased in Tulum and they told us, and I was shocked that it was all cash and it's like, it's a lot of money up front if you're thinking about like buying a property down there. But then when you think about it, you don't have like the quote unquote holding costs that you would have because you said like it's been what a year since you bought that property. So you're not having all the holding costs while you're kind of letting it sit. It gives you the opportunity to kind of take your time and get all of the plans drawn up and you're not paying a mortgage every month and worrying about, oh my gosh, I got to get this up and running. So that strategy does give you the opportunity to have a little bit of leisure time and take your time on a property like that. Right, right. You just got to have, have to have the cash in the bank to, to kind of make it happen um, in the beginning. But, but like you yeah. said, yeah, no holding costs. How much do you anticipate the renovation for this property is going to cost and how long do you think it's going to take? Um, so typically like speaking the architect that we hired, um, they're architects and builders um, and how everything works down there. It, it's we're in like the um, 
historical district. So everything has to go through whatever their um, their type of planning department is and, and be um, not look different than all the buildings around you, I guess. Um, so that process can take like up to a year just to get uh, through your permits through. Um, but according to them, it's like if you pay a couple extra thousand dollars, they can just like kind of push you to the front of the line. Um, so we're in we're in the line right now. Um, and I don't know how long it's going to take to get to get that part uh, done. But honestly, we're not too much of a, in a hurry. Um, construction, they said like eight to 14 months um, and the building costs. Um, anywhere between 100 to $150,000, um, kind of depending on um, your finishes. We kind of designed a really extravagant um, like house. It has, it's a, the front house is a three, two, and the back house is a, is a two, one. Um, and there's a, there's a pool that's shaped as like a C in the middle with a waterfall wall in between. Um, those, those could be rented out individually or together. Um, so you could have like up to 15 people there or excuse me, up to 14 people there or like four people in the back um, and uh, 10 people in the front. So um, it, it right now it's probably going to be around $150,000 for the remodel, but that could continue to go up um, depending if we're, if we're kind of making it more extravagant. Yeah, I have no ability to stay within budget either. So every time I get told a budget or like we decide on one, I'm like, just double it. <laughs> I know I'm going to make decisions that balloon this immediately. <laughs> yeah. And, and another thing we kind of slowed down on the project was because with with everything that was going on with the economy, like their economy runs off of, of our economy. Um, so everything got really expensive, like the price of like steel and concrete. Like we we're talking to the architects, they're like, it's, it's doubled. And I was like, oh, wow. So they're like, so the building material costs will, will double. Um, and then now it's been slowly going down and down and down. So, um, like during the height of the pandemic is, is when we are kind of pushing. Um, and so it made sense to slow down. And then, um, now we're kind of recouping our, our funds here. Yeah. And I'm hoping this isn't something you guys talked about when I was frozen, but it sounds like a lot of the properties that you're purchasing, even the one you're living in now that has the ADU on it, are you looking specifically for properties kind of land hacking style where there's multiple on the property that you're purchasing? Because even in Mexico, you're saying there's two different listings that you can list separately. Is that kind of a strategy that you're looking at? Um, not always, but I mean, I, I do love that strategy. I mean, it, it just makes a lot of sense because I mean, this house, like our mortgage is over five grand a month and we would not be able to afford that unless we had our ADU being rented out, you know? So, um, like we, we love this house. This is like where we want to live. Like we have our two babies now and like we live right next to like a, a semi busy street and our daughter could run out into the street in like 15 seconds. Now we have a, a quarter mile long driveway. Um, and the, so the, the strategy of the, the hack of having the ADU, yeah, that's, that definitely makes a lot of, a lot of sense to us. And I feel like it makes the property more versatile. Um, like you could, you could bring a bigger party there or you could just go with you and your, and your significant other and, and stay in like the smaller portion of it. So yeah, we, we definitely like that. Yeah. Every single time that we comp out, like we'll be on AirDNA and we'll start comping out properties. And and every single time we see a property that is run multiple ways, like say you have a 
triplex and it's run like individual units and then it's also run and available on Airbnb as the whole complex together. Those properties, I mean, they make over double what properties that are just running big or just running small are. So do you do that same thing with a motel that you have with the three units? Like you have it listed on Airbnb where you can rent out all three together, like 12 months in advance and then six months in advance, you can do individual. So we definitely should be there. We're, we're like so far behind on, on like the online uh, where we should be online. Um, like we, we started with Boostly like six months ago and we still haven't finished like our direct booking website, but um, that is definitely what we want to do. <laughs> <laughs> we we uh so we have four we have the four units there three of them are just 400 square foot um the old motel there's one tiny house that's 435 square feet and then we actually purchased the the property across the driveway which is a 1200 square foot home three bedroom two bath and then it has a 600 square foot adu so the the long-term plan is to be able to rent out all of those at once and it can hold like 18 or 20 people i think um, or, and then you could, or you could rent out half or you could rent out individual units, but exactly. Yeah. So like a year in advance, we want to be, um, like available to like parties of 18 and we want to like use, utilize websites like the knot and stuff like that, um, to, to be able to get like wedding parties and things and parties and such like that. But, um, we're not quite there just more because of how far we are behind on, on just the projects in general. Um, uh, but we're, we're moving, moving that way. <laughs> I feel like you are one step ahead of where we're at and then we're in the same exact season like everything you're saying there it's like our back end is the exact same way it's like I know that I'm leaving money on the table in the properties that are already existing because we could really refine that wheel and, and pull more out of them but we're so good at the rinsing and repeating of finding a new exciting property that I want to work on. Like I want to be in construction mode, not in operations mode. <laughs> I like avoid operations because I'm just more comfortable in construction. So, yeah. So we just, we just closed on a refinance of, of those, the four units. Um, and it, like a, a great success story for us. I mean, we, we bought the property for three ninety. Um, we did all our renovations and it, and it just appraised for six eighty. So we're doing the, a DSCR loan. So it's a, a debt service loan against the income that we're making on, on Airbnb with that. Um, so after closing costs and everything, we're, we're pulling out a little over $150,000 and we're going to take that money. Um, and we're going to put it for the, for the units that are across the street from there. Um, so that, that's a good success for us. And that was something that took a long time. Um, and it took even longer because we found, we found this house that we're living in now um, so we had to put off the, we had to put off the refinance, purchase this house. And then now we're, we're back to the refinance. So yeah, it's just a lot of moving parts and, and certain things have a, an order that they have to go in. Um, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's kind of the shiny object, object syndrome, you know, like, look what we could do. Look what we could do. And like, need to go back and kind of refine and finish um, all these other things first. Yeah, congratulations. That the... That's so exciting that you got that much out of it. It's interesting I, that you did a refinance now because I know so many people are scared of refinancing right now with interest oh. rates and stuff like that. So when you were weighing the pros and cons, you're like, it's actually worth it to refinance and pull this money out, even if the interest rate might be higher or whatever. I don't know what your situation was, but I know yeah. so many people are kind of not pulling that trigger right now, especially because of interest rates. So what what was like the defining factor for you to 
pull the trigger and refinance. So we, it was it was definitely hard to get over. So we had a sub for interest interest rate. Um, so it was a, an investment property, um, but it, we still got traditional financing on it. Um, it's a 30 year loan sub four. It was like 3.75, something like that. Um, and our new rate is eight plus almost nine. Um, and that's, that's definitely hard to swallow, but, um, I mean, we, we needed to pull that money out. Um, so that, that it, it's worth it because now we have that $150,000. Um, and now we can put that towards the next project. Um, our mortgage went from 1700 a month to like 4300 a month. Um, but the, the property like quadruple pays for that every month, like with, with zero issue. And, um, I mean, it's just the cost of doing business. Um, that, that's just what, it, what it was for us. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask was if you're looking at it and the property is still paying for itself and you're still bringing in money, that interest rate is just another line item, right? You're like, okay, maybe my profit's a little less, but then I get to put money into this other thing that then brings me more profit. And I think people don't necessarily always think in that mindset. They're so stuck on, oh my gosh, my interest rate's going up. So it doesn't make sense to do it. But in the long run, it made more sense to do that for you in your situation. Definitely. Yeah. It, it's what can we do with that money to make us more money versus just having it sit there. Um, and, it, and it wasn't like a perfect refinance. There's still some money stuck in, in the, the property, but um, it, it's close. Beautiful. Well, that's encouraging. I know that that bit of information probably will ease a lot of people's minds listening to this podcast, because I know that's a topic of conversation that we um, get presented with a lot. So um, well, thank you so much. I mean, we, I feel like we are in just the same exact era that you are in. You know, it's always a breath of fresh air to talk to people who are the same kind of insane <laughs> as we are. Um, but I wish you guys all the best. I mean, it seems like you're building an incredible portfolio in California. You're on the same mission of living internationally, having more time with your family, Um, the one last thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit before we wrap this podcast up is what's your opinion on, we always have, I feel like the opposing opinion is a lot of Airbnb or real estate gurus, um, where they say, you know, if it's, if it's going to be an investment, have it be an investment. If it's going to be a lifestyle play, have it be a lifestyle play. And this entire podcast, what I'm hearing is a lot of the decisions that you're making are both an investment and a lifestyle play, right? It's like you have a kid, now you need a bigger property, or I want to live in Mexico, so I'm going to make it, you know, Airbnb-able, but also live in it. Um, Do you think now that you've been in it a while, that's the right play? Or do you think that it's worth keeping your investments separate from what you want to do in your lifestyle? I mean, I guess it's just where you are in your journey. Like, are you just trying to grind it out and trying to find the things that are going to be like the biggest cash flow for you? Because maybe that might be not be somewhere where you want to live or visit, or maybe you're doing arbitrage and it's difficult to live in an arbitrage. Like, it, it, are you trying to just make money in your journey? Like, maybe that's where you're starting. But I mean, for us, it's it's definitely no rules like it's a combination of of all all of those things right so we we see that we could possibly live down in mexico part-time full-time sometime whatever um so we're gonna jump on that opportunity but we're not gonna be kind of um 
buttoned down with with any of any of it. I don't know. We're we're kind of all over the place. Yes, I love that. No rules. <laughs> it no resonates. Rules. Well, thank you again for coming on. You have added a ton of value to this. I'm sure our listeners will get a ton of value out of this that is applicable to their journeys as well. I'm feeling refreshed and ready to take on the day talking to you. Um, Emily, any final questions before we wrap up here? I don't think so. Can you go ahead and plug your social media so people can find you? Because that's honestly how we got introduced, I think, was through Instagram. I feel like we've been chatting back and forth on Instagram for a long time, and now we get to finally talk in person. So people can get a lot from uh, your social media, too. So can you plug that? Uh, sure. My personal social media is mostly just me and my family, but um, it's just David Neil Ross. Um, our One of our Airbnb projects has a has an Instagram. It's the Harper Inn. That's our, our four unit motel. Um, and also if you, if anyone's looking for like a really good local lender, that'll work for you. Um, who my, my wife works in their, in their office. Um, it's a uh, care finance on, on Instagram and Facebook. Um, they've helped us out tremendously and, and kind of made real estate possible for us. And I think kind of without them, we wouldn't have known all these different types of strategies and, and possibilities. So uh, big shout out to them as well. Beautiful. Well, we will add all of their tags in the bios um, of the podcast and of the YouTube video. So all of you listeners can check it out. Um, but thank you again so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing you. your journey with us. Um, and as always, you guys can find us on literally all social media platforms at the Carwells. Um, but if you are in California and you are looking at Airbnb or looking at boutique motels, he is going to be a great resource for you. So thank you again. And thank you to our listeners and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.